0: Hey everyone, and welcome to another mini-sode of the investigation game. Today I'm here with Rachel. Hi. And she is our lead data analyst here at Workman Forensics. And today we are discussing her career, how she got here, what she loves about it, all the fun stuff. So we're going to get a timer started. Jeez. And I will get us going now. So my first question is, This week on our social, we're talking a lot about then and now, comparing what the forensic accounting world looked like before and what it is now. And I know you haven't always been in the field of forensic accounting, so I'm kind of curious as to where you started versus where you are now.
1: Yeah, so if you look at where I started, you would probably never guess that I would have ended up where I am now. (laughs) I got my undergraduate degree in geology in my home state of Minnesota. I went to Penn State to get a master's in geology, thinking that I would become a geology professor, and along the way, I kind of realized that the PhD life was not for me, so towards the end of my master's program, I interviewed with several oil and gas companies because it was 2011, and oil prices were high, and they were doing a lot of recruiting. It just seemed like a thing I could do, so I ended up accepting an offer to move here to Oklahoma. And I worked as a petroleum geologist for just over four years. And then in twenty sixteen, my company was closing their Tulsa office and they said you can move to Houston and keep your job, but I just had been to Houston. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> to those of you that live in Houston, a lot of people are happy there, but I just knew it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And I had been kind of thinking anyway that I would like to get out of oil and gas. Being from Minnesota and my husband's from Pennsylvania, I just we didn't think that we wanted to live in this part of the country forever. And if you're in oil and gas, it's kind of hard not to. Mm-hmm. Um, there just aren't a lot of places you can live. And so I took that office closing as a sign, and I started exploring other things I could do with my skill set. I took a few wrong turns, another job that wasn't as quite as good of a fit, and then I found Workman.
0: Wow. <laughs> I just... When I first met you and I remember you have like this rock on your desk and I thought it was just some random rock and I had no idea it had like deeper meaning Mm. and I think somebody in the office said yeah she used to be a geologist I'm like how could she have (laughs) possibly gotten here so what made you decide to go into geology
1: so it was actually my first semester of college I started college even thinking I would do something completely different, I wanted to be a high school English teacher. So that's a whole other story that I'm <laughs> going to talk about on the blog. But my first semester of college, I took an intro geology class just as like a lab science requirement. And I just remember, I mean, it was a lot of things about that class kind of got me hooked. But like the number one thing was we read this chapter or section from a book called Control of Nature by John McPhee. Totally recommend it if you like <laughs> like pop science writing or that kind of thing. John McPhee is like the guru of geology, pop science writing, that atrafalia is about how, you know, the Mississippi comes out at New Orleans or whatever, but actually it wants to change course. It's called avulsing or avulsion is like something that rivers do over time, like as the river drops sediment and it kind of makes its path to the ocean more shallow, it's going to want to switch and kind of dump somewhere else or like fork over. And so with the Mississippi, the place where like it would be forking over to if we weren't here is the Atchafalaya River. And so there are all these things that the U.S. Corps of Engineers have done. Uh, There's a structure called old river control. You should really just read the book, but just everything about that, like, All the geomorphological processes of rivers and then, like, the human interaction with them, I just thought was the most fascinating thing. So, like, I was hooked. That class didn't make me change my major immediately, but it kind of made me, like, take another geology class and then another. And before I knew it, I was dropping the English (laughs) and education majors.
0: Wow. Yeah. So you went from, like, creative to science to...
1: Kind of both. Yeah. I'd say this job is both, which is... Why I love it.
0: <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. And like, I know our boss, Leah, she's like constantly reminding us to keep things creative, mm-hmm. which, you know, I constantly have to do because that is my act. <laughs> but even those of us on the analyst
1: side are very creative. Yeah. And I have to be very creative.
0: Yes. I, everything you do here, which we're going to get into everything you do here. I don't think anybody knows the amount, but like <laughs> it is insane the amount of things you have to come up with and discover. Like the fact that, We'll get into it, but it's just like your job and like you as a person is just so interesting to me. You're so nice. <laughs> so um, could you describe your current position as a data analyst and
1: what is like, what does your job look like exactly? Yeah, so I'd say my role as a data analyst here is a little different than what you might think of the title data analyst, meaning at most companies in two ways. One is that a lot of people, when they think about a data analyst or analytics role are thinking about big data and a lot of statistical analysis of big data. And that's not so much what we do. First of all, the data sets that we're working with in any given case aren't usually huge, not in the big data sense anyway. We're not usually working with like millions of rows of data or anything like that. And for that reason, we are actually able to usually look at every bit of the data or pull out every piece of data that fits this criteria. Um, So it's not so much using statistical analyses or forecasting or looking at trends or things like that. It's really just pulling out what's there. And that also kind of plays into how we're different from some other uh, expert witnesses and that type of thing is that for the most part, we're not saying, trust me, I'm an expert. This is what the data says, but you can't really understand it. So you just have to trust me. What I think is cool about what we do is usually it's just kind of like common sense, like we pull this out of the data and we walk the reader of our report whether that's law enforcement or you know the justice system insurance companies whoever the recipient of the report is will kind of walk the reader through our conclusions so that's a little bit different than what people often think of when they think of a data analyst role and then the other reason it's different is that we're just such a small shop that i get to actually do a really wide variety of things and that's something that i love about working here and like we were just saying kind of combining the creative and the analytical side Not only do I get to be creative and analytical problem-solving types of senses, but also, you know, writing blog posts or writing documentation for our processes or our products or editing other people's blog posts, (laughs) just that kind of thing. Um, I get to wear a lot of hats. And there's also the aspect of working on our products, the investigation game, find money in divorce. That kind of adds another little bit of variety to my day-to-day work. Yeah. Did you
0: ever think... When you were getting into this job you'd be working on web development
1: at all no yeah so i've totally gotten to learn we've talked about this a little bit Mm -hmm. you know building a front end it's very i don't want to paint myself as like a web developer by any means but you know i've gotten to dip my toe in kind of building some internal tools for us and tools Mm -hmm. that we're now um making available to outside customers and so that's been really fun yeah, that's definitely something. I had never worked for a small business before. And mm-hmm. so I kind of didn't even realize that it was a perfect fit for me because I took when I was doing kind of all my career exploration just prior to this job, I took a quiz that was like, what's your career type kind of thing? Some people, you know, are entrepreneurs. Some people are I don't remember all the categories, but I got side hustler. And (laughs) basically it was like you get too bored doing one job and one job only. So like you're the kind of person who always likes to have a side hustle. And I was like, huh, I've actually never thought about having a side hustle before. But what's awesome is that I don't have to have a side hustle with this job because my job is like four different jobs.
0: Yeah, <laughs> honestly, every time we're in meetings and I hear at the end of the meeting like, okay, so Rachel's gonna do this, 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 and this. I'm always like, oh my gosh, guys, <laughs> did we just like load her with too much stuff? And you're just like, oh, okay, yeah, I got this. And I'm like, Usually it's fine. It's <laughs> like, wow. Okay, so um, when you were transitioning from oil and gas to forensic accounting, What are some of the similarities and what would you say are some of the biggest differences between the two?
1: Yeah, so I think most people would probably think first of the differences just because those two jobs probably don't seem similar at all. And some of the biggest, most obvious differences are field work in this role is much more limited. And Mm -hmm. if we do go out in the field, it's usually just to pick up some files at a client's office or just sit with the client at their office and kind of try to help them wrap their arms around the whole situation. That's usually pretty early in a case And that would be compared to, you know, in oil and gas, actually going out to well sites, which I didn't have to do a lot of, but it was part of the job. And uh, especially with this job now and with things being so digital. There's just not a lot of reason to do things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't get to go on field trips. So as a petroleum geologist, <laughs> a lot of times, depending on obviously budgets and other factors, but it's pretty common for your employer to pay for you to go on some training field trips, you know, maybe once mm. a year. So I went to West Texas. I went to Utah just learning about seen like world-class examples of different geological phenomena that like we'd be getting oil from in the subsurface that maybe here in Utah you can see it as an outcrop, that type hmm. of thing. So that's something I obviously don't do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but similarities. Uh,
0: oh my gosh. Wow, that went really fast.
1: Yeah, it did. Holy sorry. <laughs> I could talk about my job all day. I
0: cannot stop this timer though. Jeez. Oh, I know the 10 minutes passed, but I really do want to hear what the similarities (laughs) are. Like, I know we're cheating, but I really, there's just this and one more question I have to ask. All right. So
1: I'd say the biggest similarity is that I'm looking at data and the data quality is not always, you can't, the data availability and the quality, I'll say, is not always what you want it to be. And that's Mm -hmm. true in both jobs. As an exploration geologist, you're dealing with the data you can get, which you're trying to get from miles under the earth. It might be from wells that are, you know several townships apart if you're doing core there might only be one in the county um that can really get you the data you need so like the data is really sparse and then if you're looking at old logs they might be unreliable and we actually face a lot of the same challenges with the data we use you know sometimes there's just gaps in the data the client can't get the data you need or they can get it but it's not in the best format or the easiest data to work with and so not only you have this like drive to be really quantitative and analytical about everything, but then there's also the component of realism of like, well, what data is available and what are its limitations? And that's been surprisingly consistent between both jobs, I'd say.
0: Hmm. So I'm adding this question really quickly because I'm genuinely curious, and I think our listeners might be. When uh, going between data from oil and gas to forensic accounting data, was there a big learning curve between the two? Because you're working with two completely different types of data. Yeah,
1: that's a great question. So I've been really lucky here to work with some awesome people that are both very helpful and willing to help me learn and actually accountants. (laughs) So I can't tell you how many times I come across an accounting question. Like I'd say that's where the biggest things come up because a lot of financial data, you know, I already understand what payroll is or like Mm -hmm. some of you know people's personal bank statements like it's kind of common sense but a lot of when we work with accounting records or things like that i've learned so much from leah and megan just from me coming across something and then and i made myself this like accounting basics cheat sheet so i know like which accounts are increased by a debit and which are increased by a credit and like that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but i'm always going to them saying like okay so is this normal (laughs) or like i think this is what's going on here is that right Mm -hmm. um and they have been very educational (laughs)
0: Nice. Okay. So last final question. In your opinion, what do you think it takes to be a good data analyst?
1: That's such a good one too. (laughs) I think if you already have that analytical mindset, then like you kind of know that you like it and you're good at it. So assuming that everyone's like in that category, if they're interested in being a data analyst, I'd say the things that people don't always think about are being really organized, having really good communication skills, especially written communication, because you want someone to be able to understand what you did and then making sure that your work is traceable and repeatable. So kind Mm -hmm. of going along with that communication, just being able to keep everything really clear, I think goes a long way in successful data analytics because you're Mm -hmm. not going to be the end recipient of your product isn't another data analyst. It's going to be, you know, another stakeholder that you just need to be able to communicate with that person.
0: Hmm. I would have never thought of it that way, but that completely makes sense. Because I think if you just handed me the things that you do on a day-to-day, it would go right over my head. But you are very great at explaining exactly how to handle things and like what to do with the work you've created. So I really appreciate that. Well, thanks. Thank you for being on today's episode. Thank you, it was super fun. I'm glad, I wish we could have gotten to all the questions, but if you guys read her blog post, you'll uh, find out way more than what we discussed today. So thanks for listening everyone. The Investigation Game is brought to you by Workman Forensics. For more information on the business and its services, visit workmanforensics.com. Find us on social media on any social media platform at Workman Forensics. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or topic ideas, please email us at podcast at Thanks for listening.